Good morning, good day, and good evening, and welcome to Jurassic Park. Welcome back to A Bloody Mess Podcast, the badly researched true crime podcast. My name is Chen, and joining me today is a man of many talents, 1,000 hobbies, and a beard that would make a Bulgarian bear jealous. It's Jim. Hello. Your beard is looking majestic over the magic of Skype here. It is quite a big beard at the minute, obviously. I haven't had it trimmed in quite a while, and it's just overtaking my life. Yeah, it does look like it. It's... Your head's looking nice and bald, though. Yeah, I can, I can cut my own hair, but I don't, I've never actually trimmed my own beard whilst it's been long. I've always got it done at the barbers. How much does it cost? Well... It's a good price because he does it for the same. He does my hair as well for the same price as a beard trim, because I alternate between shaving my own head and getting him to shave it. So he just does it all for a beard trim price. Okay, that's good, isn't so it? So it's, it's a good. It's a cracking little barbershop. Really good. Excellent. Yeah. Anyway, now I mentioned the magic of Skype. Yeah. And I can't remember why I was thinking this when I was typed out this script, but the the magic of what? Skype. I have an interesting fact about Skype. Oh, dear, actually. Yeah. Did you know that Skype, as a company, was founded in 2003 in Luxembourg, but the actual video chat software was created by a team of Estonians who were also responsible for the file-sharing platform and Napster's successor, Kazaa. Really? Yeah. There we go. That takes me back. Fact. Yeah. You ever, you ever been to Luxembourg? No, I know you have. Yeah. Cycled to Luxembourg. Yeah. Anyway, right. When I was writing this script... I started thinking about Skype, and if you think about it, right, it's, it's quite amazing that, just say, for example, 10,000 years ago, right, where you were and where I am, there was nothing, and now we have this thing that's been developed that we can see each other and speak and record. It's, it's just quite magic, isn't it? Are you, are you having an existential crisis because of the I think quarantine? I must have been. I think I must have been when I was typing that, yeah. Yeah, it's, I sometimes have these profound moments of... The fact that we've come so far as a species and we've managed to create roads and infrastructures and hospitals and buildings. Washing machines. Well, yeah, exactly, everything. But we've also created capitalism, which yep. isn't a great... Well, it's, yeah, I can't say I don't like capitalism because it's served me very well as a consumer. But on the grand scheme of things, it's not great because we go to work to sell things so people can make things for other people to buy. But if everyone stopped... We wouldn't need to do you know, like we wouldn't need to do it all. But there wouldn't be any, there wouldn't be anything to buy anyway if we all stopped. So you wouldn't need to make it. That's what I mean. It's like you could you could stop it. But anyway, we all know about my my nihilistic views that I don't I don't <laughs> think humanity should survive. But all right, calm down. Okay. Skype is magic. Okay, Skype, Skype is magic, uh, and yeah. What we're we discussing today, Chen? Well, James, we'll wait till near the intro music to tell the fans of the show. Um, but you can just read out the quote below from a doctor who examined our persons of from Doctor Who. Interest. No, <laughs> from <laughs> from a doctor who examined our um, person of interest today after the crimes had been committed. Ah, okay. Where's the Where's the doctor from? I think he was Italian. <laughs> Are you just queuing <laughs> me up to do an Italian accent there? That's it. Yes, yeah. so he, 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 he's from the UK, I would imagine. Right. I'm, but, I'm, yes. Let's. We're gonna. That's just not an accent for you. That's just you speaking. Exactly. So, I think we're too early on in the episode for me to be throwing the accents out there. So I'll just read it in my normal way. Okay. He was not terribly intelligent, but he had quite a lot of what you might think of as natural cunning. He didn't have lots of opportunities for conversations. 
so he was quite happy to talk about himself. There were areas of his life where he was happy to talk about, and areas of his life that he wasn't. The things that he didn't want to talk about very much were the offences. One thing he did say was he had no recollection of what happened to the victims. This was in terms of whether they died or not. He said it was like a theatre, like the curtains opening at the start of a play, or when you open your kitchen curtains to watch two stray go- dogs fuck in your garden. <laughs> what had gone on before the curtains opened, he had no knowledge of. What happened after the curtains closed, he had no recollection of. These were the areas where the girls were killed and the bodies disposed of. But he had some recollection of what happened in between. So there you go. We're going to be talking about a man who describes killing as theatre. A man who has no recollections on whether or not his victims lived or died. That's right. It's Tony Blair. (laughs) This (laughs) This man is Robert Black. There's been a murder of podcast. A bloody mess. For those of you who don't know who Robert Black is or was, he was a Scottish serial killer and paedophile whose victims were never over the age of 11. And on May the 19th, 1994, he was convicted of kidnap, rape, and murder of four young girls. Uh, what date was that? That would be May the 19th, 1994. Now, aside from this episode airing pretty much exactly 26 years to the Holy day shit. from when this happened, <laughs> May 19th is also the date that Oscar Wilde was released from prison in 1897 after being sentenced to two years hard labour for being homosexual. It's an old joke, yeah, it's an old joke, but in those days, if you were found guilty of getting hot and sweaty with a lot of men, they'd jail you and force you to get hot and sweaty with a lot of men. (laughs) I didn't even realise that, but we're meant to record this actually like last week and we just didn't bother. Yeah. But yeah, it's actually going to be released in almost 26 years. Yeah, to the day. Yeah, I think it's Tuesday, this comes out on Wednesday, so there we go. That's amazing, eh? I know. Robert Black also had further convictions... And it had also been linked to many more unsolved cases throughout the years from circa 1970 onwards. By the way, this is not going to be a nice story. Yeah, well, we're not going to uh, skip over the details or anything like that. This is going to be a full-on, quite gruesome episode. Let us begin. Presumably Black was born and not created by some sort of demon from the depths of hell. He was born in a town called Grangemouth near Falkirk in Scotland on the April 21st, 1947. See, I read that he was hatched from a big sweaty egg. <laughs> he bloody looked like it. Yeah. If you don't really know where Falkirk is, um, it's maybe about half an hour from Glasgow in Scotland. If you don't know where Glasgow is, it's an eight-hour drive from London. If you don't know where London is, depending on where you are, you can fly to one of its three airports, then get a taxi to Euston. Is that how you say it? Euston? Yeah, Euston. Euston train station. Hop on a train to Glasgow Central. Walk 10 minutes to Glasgow Queen Street Station, where you'll, where you'll find regular trains to Falkirk. From there, you should be able to find Grangemouth. They're very good directions. However, did you also know that Grangemouth is Scotland's busiest container port and the principal oil port of the country? I did not. Mm. I know there's like a big um, oily, gas, petrol thing down there, because I think we got a tour of it when we were younger. So let's now crack on with Black's youth now, shall we? Yes. Oh, I've scrolled too far. 
Black's mother was named Jessie Hunter Black. That's a good name. Jessie Hunter name. Black. And we couldn't find any information on his father. It's safe to say he was born out of wedlock. Bastard. What we, <laughs> what we could find out that was um, that Jessie had put Robert up to adoption for adoption so she could move to Australia. And he ended up being six months old, being fostered by a middle-aged, experienced foster family in a village called Kinloch Leven. And you guys can get yourself there if you want. I've got an interesting fact about Kinloch Leven. Go on, I'm ready. I've been excited for this. That That's where my dad grew up. Really? Yes. My dad was born in Oban, which is very close to Kinloch Leven. Yeah. But yeah, he was, you know, raised pretty much in Kinloch Leven. Bloody hell. I went, I went to see my dad briefly the other day. I know... We were just speaking through a window for five minutes. Um, Bit like Skype. Yeah, but <laughs> I was I was I was, I was tempted because I don't know, I don't know if the timelines would match up that my dad would have known this guy. Oh shit! I didn't want yeah. to go. I was like, Dad, do you know um, this paedophile serial killer called Robert Black? <laughs> He'd be like, Know him? I put him away. <laughs> I might. I'll ask him before we record the next episode, which we're not doing straight after this. So we no. the next episode we won't be fucking smashed. Like we were the last one. Yeah, uh, that would be interesting. Well, it actually might work out because he's he'll be older than your dad. Yes, about but, ten years older. I think, but yeah. they might they may have been around in the same little village at the same time. So that's actually really interesting. Can Can Lock Levin's tiny and everyone right. would have known everyone. Oh, well, chances are well, the chances are he would have known the parents, the yeah, foster yeah, yeah, the yeah. foster family. Yeah. Ooh. See, I've that's also I've also got a handy piece of information regarding Kinlock Levin. Now, according to TripAdvisor, if you're staying at a hotel with a porter who transports your bags to your room, a reasonable tip would be approximately £2. Really? Yeah. That sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah. I'd hate that. What, tipping? No. Uh, you stingy fuck. Having someone helping me. Like, I hate it as well. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do that. No, I don't like it. Just in, in general, when I did, um, there's a walk called the West Highland Way. Yeah. Where you walk from Glasgow to Fort William and you actually go through Kinloch Leven. It's about 96 miles. And you get companies that will take your bags to where you plan to finish that day. It takes like five days on average anyway. That's, so you can give them your bags. That's a decent idea, that, because then you can basically just, you're not carrying all your clothes for the week and you can stay in bed and breakfast and things like that. But I was like, no. I was like, no, I'm doing this myself. And we wild camped and we just ate. Like, we would stop at the occasional pub, have a few pints and a pub meal. But we would wild camp, um, carry all our own stuff, all our own equipment. Because I'm a stingy fucker, and I'm stubborn like that. No, you're you're. Uh, what's the what's the word? You're hard. That's why you're a wilderness camper. No. I'd actually like to do something like that. I would really like to do it, but unfortunately, my fitness level just isn't above that of like a sofa at the minute. You know, it's. <laughs> As you can see, I'm wearing the only piece of, of uh, sporting regalia that I own. It's a t-shirt that says, Walk with Lancashire Women, for a charity walk I did, which was a, a half marathon that we did as a, as a sponsor walk. And after that, I think I nearly had a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We've, we finished with Kinloch leaving? Yeah, I, for now, yeah. It's a nice little place. It's a yeah. nice little place. During his time in foster care, he adopted the family name Tulip. Black was known throughout his life as being a bit of a dirty bastard, and I mean this hygiene-wise. Even as a kid, he was known as Smelly Bobby Tulip. This theme of having poor hygiene is something that would follow him into adulthood as well. Your dad's going to know him by that name, isn't he? Yeah, probably. I was like, I'll tell you, yeah. dad, you know... Oh, yeah, I know him. Yeah. Great guy. Yeah. <laughs> Wonder what ever happened to him. Yeah, well... 
As a child, Smelly Bobby was quite aggressive and had little or no friends. When I say little friends, I mean like a little number of friends, not just small, small friends. Oh, right, I'm with you. He used to throw epic tantrums and even vandalise school property. Despite being aggressive, he did get bullied as a child by, ch- by children older than him, which in turn made him become a bully towards younger children. That kind of makes sense. It's worth pointing out that not all people who are bullied, nor bullies themselves, automatically turn into murderous pedo fuckwits. Yeah, that's, that's a good point, actually. Even at the tender age of five. Did I spell five that way? Yeah, you did. <laughs> I must uh, be in one of my stupid moves, moods there. It made me laugh. Chen, Chen spelled five uh, like the 90s boy group, starting it with a number five, so technically you'd pronounce it five five. Five five, if you're kidding. Is that them? them? I'm not going to sing I, I don't know. I've absolutely no they were, idea. They were great. Was that anyway? Even at the tender age of five, <laughs> Black managed to persuade a girl of the same age to compare private parts, which seemed to trigger some inner belief of Blacks that he should have been born a female. It also seemed to awaken a disturbingly deep interest in the genitals in general, whether it was his or someone else's. I have to, I have to say, you've not done yourself many favors writing the sentence. Disturbingly deep interest in genitals in general. That's a re- that's a tongue twister. It really was, wasn't it? Yeah. It's taken me eight times to say that. I'm not, I'm not doing it again. He also had an obsession with body orifices, and by aged eight, he was doing what most of us do in adult areas. Experimentation. Insert things into our arses. <laughs> Finally something I can identify with. <laughs> he wasn't using my dick, though, like you did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although... <laughs> We're not even drunk. Right. No, Jesus. Although when questioned well, later in life... Sorry, what are you saying? I was I was going to say, I'm not drinking, but I had tiramisu, so I suppose we can count the small amount of alcohol that's in that. That might yeah. have pushed me over the edge. Tiramisu. Although when questioned later in life, Black would not go into great detail of his childhood. Locals, locals of the village would recall seeing bruises on Black's body and face, which would suggest some sort of physical abuse from his foster parents. Black would state that he would, he would never remember where they came from, but what he would say is that his mother would often beat him and berate him every time he went to bed, which was often. Interestingly, bedwetting is one of three behaviours that make up the McDonald Triad. Now, the McDonald Triad, also known as the Homicide Triangle, is a framework used to predict later violent behaviour, particularly when related to serial offences. Uh, these behaviours are bedwetting, arson and animal cruelty. <laughs> Coincidentally, those are three of my favourite hobbies. <laughs> By age, by age nine in 1958, both his foster parents, the Tulips, passed away, so Black was placed under the care of another fa- foster family in Kinloch Leven. It was soon, probably my bloody grandparents or something. <laughs> it was soon after this that Black committed first of his many sexual assaults. He dragged a young girl into public toilets of the village and fondled her. God, I've not written that right. Did you see what I mean? Yeah, the... the- <laughs> He dragged a young girl into the public toilets of the village. <laughs> oh, Jesus. It probably made sense when you typed it, but it sounds like you're supporting the act. Yeah. He dragged a young girl into public toilets of the village and fondled her. His mother rightly so reported this assault and asked that Black be removed from her care and from her home. That's fair enough. From here, Black was moved to a mixed-sexed children's home on the outskirts of Falkirk. However, as predicted, this choice of sending him, him to a mixed-sexed... 
I can, I've, we've now discovered I cannot say mixed sex. Mixed sex. However, as predicted, this choice of sending them to a school full of boys and women... <laughs> that's even worse. <laughs> oh, God. I think I'm going to pass out. <laughs> However, as we could all probably predicted, this choice of sending him to a mixed-sex school backfired when Black would continually expose himself to the girls in the school. Who saw that coming? Not the girls, anyway. On the contrary, it seems like they probably did see him coming. Ooh, let's move Oy. on from that terrible joke. Okay. He even on one occasion removed a girl's underwear by using force. Not the force. So it wasn't like he was Pedo Wankanobi? No. No. He actively forced her to remove her underwear. Okay. That's probably not worth joking about then. <laughs> no. No. Yeah, just a warning. If this is getting too much for you this early on, um, please now. Yeah, uh, much like the quality of the podcast, uh, this story gets worse as it progresses. Because of these actions, Black was not the podcast declining, but Black's <laughs> actions, he was sent to a re- the Red Hot Red House Care Home in Musselborough. This is a very high discipline place, and more importantly, all male. At this establishment, Black was sexually abused by, him- by himself. <laughs> At this establishment, Black was sexually abused himself by a particular particular male staff member generally being forced to perform fellatio much like in the excellent but harrowing film sleepers if you know the scene i'm talking about you know during this time black was studying at musselburgh grammar school and was recalled as being very shy quiet and like the days of his early childhood he had few friends we're going to move on to now to 1963 where black was 16 he left the care home and moved to another boy's home in Greenock, where he found a job as a delivery boy for a local butcher. As we discuss his job in later life, maybe this is what gave him the idea. That's a very good point. And also I think he's, his jobs may have just been... Uh, you kind of get jobs that are similar to jobs you've got. You you get jobs based on your experience. If yeah. all he's done is been delivering, that's what he's going to keep on doing. Exactly. Black did say later in life... While he had this job as a butcher's delivery boy, he abused between 30 and 40 girls who were home alone while he was out doing his deliveries. Worst deliveroo ever. <laughs> However, this could be him boasting as none of these claims were ever backed up with any sorts of report. And later in life, this is what Black had to say on this. If there was a girl on her own in the flats when I was delivering, I'd like to sit down and talk to her for a few minutes, like, you know, and try and touch her. Sometimes succeeded, sometimes not. Yeah, so this is the type of guy we're dealing with. And it gets a lot bloody worse. Moving to the summer of 1963, we come on to some of the actual reports um, of abuse suffered at the hands of Black, leading to his only conviction before the big one many years later. I never knew he liked roller coasters. I don't get it. Is that is the there big, the big one? Is there one? Is there a roller coaster called the big one? Yeah, the Pepsi Max. Is that what it's called? Blackpool. Yeah, I thought it was called the Pepsi Max. It, no, it was. Well, I don't know. Is it called the big one or is it the Pepsi Max? I don't know. What was the Iron Brew one called? I don't know. There was an Iron Brew one. Was it Revolution? I don't know. I only know Alton Towers. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, I miss Alton Towers. I'm going to go straight there. 
What after this? Yeah, not after, not after this podcast, but <laughs> once I'm allowed to. What, why is the band still on? Can you still not go back? Oh, COVID. Oh. Black came across a seven-year-old girl, not like that, playing by herself in the park. Not like that. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. I've, I've written this really badly. He managed to persuade her to follow him to a disused air raid shelter, convincing her that he was going to show her some kittens. But unfortunately, there were not kittens, only full, fully grown cats. <laughs> <laughs> Did you write that in? Yeah. <laughs> but unfortunately, there were not kittens, only full-grown cats. Hashtag disappointment. Black grabbed the poor girl by the throat until she passed out, and then he masturbated over her body. I actually believe that she was found wandering through the streets afterwards, confused and upset, and I think, oh, it's, it's terrible. It's just a little girl. It's awful. Horrible. The day after this happened, Black was arrested and charged immediately with lewd and libidinous yep. behaviour and even went, underwent a psychiatric exam which concluded this incident was isolated and would not happen again. And because of this this report he pretty much got away with the crime. No, that it's terrible. I mean, I think it's also due to the, the name and the type of crime he was charged with because technically lewd libidinous behaviour is indecent assault against a child. That's like the Definition of it by law. Okay. Now, going further, the crime of indecent assault, by definition, is non-consensual touching or sexual threat. Now, I don't mean to minimise the suffering caused by these crimes, but there is a difference between, like, your old school flasher having a wank on a bus, or even a person being groped or felt up, which is what indecent assault really refers to. There's a vast difference between that and the crime of essentially abducting a child, taking her to a remote location, and then strangling her until she's unconscious whilst masturbating over her. Now, it's worth calling your mind back to the earlier quote from the Doctor, uh, fantastically acted out by myself, that Black didn't know if they were alive or dead when the act was over, so perhaps he thought she was dead. Because t- they always say, people, I say they, people always say it takes a lot of strength and determination to strangle someone to death beyond just putting them making them unconscious. Surely this should have been classed as attempted murder, really, when you think about it. It could have easily have been it. I don't know why it wasn't. It could easily have been attempted murder. So I'm assuming he didn't have a lot of experience strangling people. He could have easily thought she was dead. Easily. Yeah, definitely. Because Well, it was like, <clears throat> this is a similar time to uh, when Edmund Kemper stabbed that girl. This is a similar time it was the 60s, 70s. Yeah. You know, when he stabbed that girl and expected to fall down dead instead she screamed and ran away. Yeah, exactly. And he was like, why is she not dead? It, people didn't really know the mechanics of actually murdering someone. Thank Can't God to all the, the pioneers that, that <laughs> helped us learn. Yeah. Soon after this incident, Black moved to Grangemouth, where he would end up staying with an elderly couple. He found work at a building supplies company and even got himself what would be known as his only girlfriend. They dated and Black even ended up asking her to marry him, but she rejected this and ended their relationship. Apparently he had very unusual sexual demands. I genuinely wonder what they they could have been. I think that he wanted her to wear his bumhole like a bracelet. (laughs) It's not that unusual. Just the way you've put it is unusual. (laughs) (laughs) The elderly couple... Um, that he was living with in Grangemouth, found out that he was molesting their nine-year-old daughter, uh, granddaughter, sorry, 
whenever she came round. They kicked him out in an attempt not to cause their granddaughter any more trauma, which is completely understandable. They did not report this to the police. Yeah, I mean, I get that. I've recently watched the series Unbelievable on Netflix, which is essentially... You're unbelievable. Well, no, it's it's about a serial rapist, so maybe don't do that. But it's about... about... (laughs) Jesus Christ. Well, yeah, let's just, let's just call back that, you know, 90s, you know, song by the KLF, was it? You know, let's, no brilliant. Idea. You know, let's not distract from this story of child rape. But basically, yeah, in the story is the, I'm not going to spoil it for you, it's, worth, it's definitely worth watching. But basically, the person has to give an account of her being assaulted. I think in the first episode, she gives it to five different people. Oh, really? Yeah, and, and so basically... Regardless of what happens after that, any mistrials of justice that happened, and this is based on a true story as well, but regardless of what happens after that, the fact is you have to say it at least once, and if you're nine, you just want to forget about it and move past it, so fair play to the grandparents, and don't blame them at all. Yeah, it's completely and utterly understandable. Black moved back to Kinlaw Cleveland, started hanging out with my dad again. <laughs> um, after he lost, his, he lost his job, moved back to Kinlaw Cleveland, ended up lodging with a couple... Who had a six-year-old daughter? In under, do you think this is? Sorry, yep. Do you think it's? Uh, sorry, just came to that. Do you think children in the household is common for everyone, or do you think that he's targeting couples with kids? Well, I don't know. Could be he's targeting it, but this is also in the sixties, seventies. Um, what am I trying to say? Contraception wasn't that high, so if you're yeah. if you own a house, renting it out, you're probably an adult. Probably yep. had sex with your wife or girlfriend. You probably had a kid. Does that Fair make sense? Enough. Yep, I'm with you. But we'll just say he was a devious bastard and it was all part of his plan. Yeah, I'd say so. In under one year, the new landlord um, had gone to the police as Black had repeatedly molested their daughter. Oh, Jesus. Now, I, I go off on a tangent here, but it is relevant. Now, he was about 16 or 17 at this time, wasn't he? In teens, uh, the prefrontal cortex of the brain isn't fully developed and doesn't reach maturity until the mid-twenties. Now, this part of the brain is responsible for, amongst other things, filtering your thoughts and activities and regulating emotion. Basically, it's accepted that the prefrontal cortex intelligently guides your thoughts, actions and emotions, rationality, moderating social behaviour, decision-making, etc., whilst also inhibiting inappropriate thoughts. Mine doesn't. No, I know, but you know, you, you've just got many issues. <laughs> right then, I mean, this is this is one of the reasons why you're listening. You know, the, to the people that download the podcast, it's mining yours, patchy patchy psychology education yeah, that's it. <laughs> from our, you know, and also our savage piss taking of each other. Exactly, that's exactly why people listen. Yeah. Uh, so basically, we've got someone who's from a troubled background with an early sexual awakening, parental abuse, they're suffering from impulsive, sexually violent thoughts and behaviour, coupled with being at an age where the brain is not developed enough to deal with or regulate the all of these things that are going on inside him. Mm-hmm. It seems like every event in Black's life seems to further reinforce whatever twisted thought processes he was already having, namely power, control, sexual violence and domination. Totally agree with you. Thank you. Following his arrest and subsequent charges, 
Black immediately pleaded guilty to three counts of indecent assault against a child and was sentenced to a year in Paulmont Borstal. Interesting fact about this place. It used to be a school, um, but it had to close down in 1908 due to an outbreak of a disease. And it was bought over by the prison people, whoever does that, the Her Majesty's prison people, and opened as a Borstal in 1911. It's now known as Her Majesty's Young Offenders Institution Paulmont. And it's apparently a shithole. Is it still... Oh, it is still in operation, isn't it? Yes. We will get to that. There have been huge complaints about the lack of food, poor sleeping conditions, etc, etc. However, it's still a place for the real wrong youths of society. And most notably, and recently, Aaron Campbell. Now, this is the shit stain that went round to his neighbour's house to steal drugs, and instead abducted the six-year-old daughter before raping and killing her in an abandoned hotel, isn't it? Yes, I believe. I believe that's the man. Yeah. See, I'm not in favour of the death penalty, and I'm a big believer in criminal reform. However, I do just think some people should just be euthanised, and I think Aaron Campbell is one of them. Yeah, I mean, I read some of the news on that, because it was not close to me, but it was basically Scotland. Um, yeah, he was, he was a total psychopath. He, he had no emotion. He didn't give a fuck. Did not give a fuck. Yeah, need to just press the reset button on that one, I'm afraid. Yeah, we might cover that one day. It is important here to note that although Black was open to talk about some of his abuse as a child, including the time at the Red House care home, when it came to the time he spent in the Borstal, he would outright refuse to discuss anything that happened to him in there. He got bummed, didn't he? He 100% got bummed. He got bummed rotten. (laughs) Now... Just like to take this minute to point out that we're not condoning child abuse of any kind, and at this po- and at the time when he was being abused, it was arguably the arguable that Black was innocent, and whilst this may have had an effect on forming who he was the person, as the piece of shit he is currently or was, I can't. I, you haven't you haven't let me know how the story finishes yet, but we're allowed to joke about this because he's a wanker. Yeah, we've already discussed him being a wanker. Yeah. He was released um, from the Borso in early 1968, and six months after September, he relocated, located, located to London to start a new life. <laughs> I must have been in one of my moods when I was typing this. Yeah. Um, he found a place to stay near King's Cross Station and moved from job to job for the next couple of years. His most notable job during this period was when he was a lifeguard. Do you think he went for this job specifically where he would have ease of access to young girls? No, I think he really he really wanted to use the big long pole with the ball on the end for getting the sick out. <laughs> oh god. Anyway, this job as a lifeguard did not last too long, um, as he soon got fired for yep, you guessed it, drowning a puppy. <laughs> no, um, he didn't. He he was caught fondling a young girl. However, for whatever reason no charges were brought, brought against him. Do you think that was again because of the less than delicate nature of the police department at the time and not wanting to put a young girl through repeating the charges? Essentially it would have been in court, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's going to bloody stopped what was about to come with him anyway. I've got... I work in a potato factory, right? Yeah. And I love the people I work with, but sometimes they're not the, the upper echelon of society. I've worked with three people you could class as maybe paedophiles. Really? We didn't hire them knowing. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't on the CV. No. Um, one of them... But he, is, he, is, he does know Excel. One of them, um, he was gay. Then he ended up leaving or he got sad. I, I, I can't remember. 
Then it yeah. came out a while later that he had paid young boys for sexual favors. Oh, that's not how young we're talking. I'm not. I don't know the details. Okay, I don't know the details. I won't mention names. This is many years ago. Um, right, young enough to be classed as a pedophile. It wasn't yeah. like he was forty and paying a twenty-six-year-old. It's uh, it's. How old was he? Uh, he was an older older man, maybe not a sixty oh. odd, but he was older than me. Maybe at the time, forty to fifty, and I'm talking right. maybe ten years ago, maybe maybe longer. And then this is with, with people that clearly are under the age of consent, so they're under they're under eighteen. Yeah, but old enough to understand right. they need money. Oh God! Could have been an eight year old. Funny, maybe not funny Fucking story that, about that, this guy. That came out of nowhere. That one. <laughs> funny, maybe not funny story about this guy. Um, we're at work. This was before I made it into the senior management. In Did the, he pay to suck his dick? No, he still owes me money. Um, <laughs> no, he was. We use a lot of polythene because we pack potatoes, and he was. He put the the waste polythene in a, you know, a bin bag type thing, and he was bending yeah. over with his knees on it to get the air out. Yeah. And I was a young. I was maybe sixteen, seventeen, maybe. <laughs> and I jumped on him and dry humped him. <laughs> Dry, dry humped a pedo. And, and he came all over the bin. No, he probably bloody did. Um, oh, God. Second one that I can remember, if you were scaling these things, it, it's not as bad as paying young boys for sex, but he, a weirdo, I can't remember if he got sacked or left, but then it came out in the paper that this guy was caught in the swimming pool. This is what made me remind it, lifeguard. Right. Caught in the swimming pool showers, and I think the newspaper quote said he was touching himself vigorously whilst watching young girls. Oh god! Yep. Um, the latest, the latest <sighs> one. Fucking hell! Again, I won't name names. Um, you can name names as far as I as I'm concerned. I don't give a shit. No, because I know people at work. Listen, oh fuck it! I know there's an investigation going on to this. Oh right, well don't if there's a current investigation. Oh, fuck it! If I get sacked from my job, it's fine. No, but don't want to get sacked. I don't want the case to get thrown out of court. No, it's of, not. It's not that that case is done. This just other stuff. But there's this oh. guy, big guy, and like I'm not gonna lie. He was, I got on really well with him. He was he was a nice guy. Now, I didn't know he was a pedophile at the time. He ended up... Um, he was in an accident at work. And he's not been back since. He's still technically employed. Then one of our um, staff went to... Googled this guy's name to find him on Facebook. To send him a message saying, yeah. look, how are you getting on? Then it came up with all the news reports of what this guy had done. And he was basically... Jesus. It was one of those... Um, he was talking to what he thought was a child online and it was a police officer. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So, Were they not just on work experience? <laughs> no. Um, yeah, so I've worked with three paedophiles. You can class with paedophiles, yeah. That, that I know of. There could be a lot bloody more. Well, yeah, exactly. I'm trying to think of any run-ins with any wrong-ins. Uh, yeah. I went to school with a lad. Uh, and I think I've mentioned this before in the podcast. It basically... Uh, the lad was living at home. This was when early tw- we were in our early twenties. I'd not seen him for maybe ten years, but he was using he was accessing child porn on his home computer. And because he was living with his parents, uh, the police came round, stormed the house, and arrested his dad because they went, "Who's going to be the one looking at kiddie porn? Is it going to be the twenty-two-year-old lad or the fifty-year-old yeah, yeah, yeah. man?" Yeah, yeah. So they arrested his dad, took him in, and he had to go down to the police and say. By the way, it wasn't him; it was me. Yeah, and the, apparently the police were about to arrest him because they looked at the logs, and and they basically the, the basically seen that the dad was say, was consistently 
saying he had had no idea, had no, no idea how to use any of the software. He didn't know what was going on. But also, the lad worked shifts, and all the times that they were accessing it was times when someone who worked late would be clocking off. So it was like early hours of the morning, and the dad was like, I go to bed at like half ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's mad, isn't it? uh, Yeah, he had a load of images on his computer, and it said several of them were the worst the judge had ever seen. And they were the Category 5 or Category 6, you know, the ones where it's uh, elements of sadism and things like that in it. Yeah. Uh, Not just like kids on the beach or something like that. It was actual, like, horrific stuff. And basically, I don't know how, but the the guy's lawyer, solicitor, managed to get a smashing deal, I think, and he pled guilty to it. And the judge said, well, you know, I think this will be a lesson for you. And he suspended his sentence. Jesus Christ. And he was back out. And I don't even know if he got a custody, if he was held uh, in remand. I think, he, I think he was bailed. Jesus Christ. So it's... I don't think he ever did a day inside, but yeah, I mean, I'd, I have, <laughs> pardon the expression, come across him locally, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and I've I've met a bit of a scene. I didn't want to get served by him in the shop. Well, did you really? Yeah, yeah. Worked in the Tesco petrol station, so I, ref- I refused to go and see him. I refused to be served by him, and then he just happened to go on his break, which was convenient. What did you? What did you went to like the supervisors and stuff? No, I just stood there in the, in the till, and I just said nope. When he was like, next please. I was like, no. Jesus and I said, I said, I'm not being served by him. Fair enough. And and then the other staff member said, why? And I said, he knows. Oh, God. <laughs> and then, yeah. So, yeah, it's, you meet people in all walks of life, don't you? But it's horrible. It's horrible the fact that you know that you It's like rats. You're never more than a few feet away from one. Well, that's it, isn't it? That's it. Like, well, we could get into the depths of... People can't help what they find attractive, but that's a different story altogether, isn't it? But you can, but you can help what you do about on it. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It's like I don't throw myself at every like curvy brunette that I see. No, no, <laughs> you know, yeah. not anymore. <laughs> um, right. Anyway, sorry. Where were we? Uh, something about a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Anyway, yeah. Just a side note. If anyone listening has any stories about people they know or people they work with, send send them to us. It's genuinely quite interesting. Maybe only if they've been... Don't let us be the first point of contact. You know, maybe contact the police first. Yeah, you don't say, I witnessed the murder and just tell us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're not going to investigate it. We're, we've nowhere near got the crowdfunding capabilities yet. Right, during his time in Long- London, Black met um, a fellow pervert and somehow managed to start a collection of child pornography. Magazines and photos to start with, but soon um, moving on to graphic child abuse videos. Jesus. How do you... I typed that out and I was like, how do you even get onto that subject with someone? Okay, we could talk to people and like, yeah, I like this kind of porn and stuff like that. But then you, how do you even approach the subject? It's like, have you got any stuff for the ch- children in them? Well, the thing is, presumably, at the time, I can't, I don't know anything about the legislation or what's legal and what isn't, especially back in the day. That sounds bad. That sounds like I've just got this world of filth on my computer. But basically... Back in the day, presumably all porn was underground. Yeah, there was no. Okay. I, obviously, you had like your 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 jazz mags in the news agents, yeah. but anything more than that would have been you'd have to go to a dodgy shop for it. And obviously, you go to the dodgy shop, you start speaking to people because you know you've got something in common with them. Yeah. Like when people that go to the same, I don't know, record shop get chatting with the regulars and things like that. Okay. 
presumably it'll be something like that, and then someone will say, oh, would you like anything a bit more, you know, there'll be a code where they'll say, oh, do, do you like anything a bit more, you know, a bit, choice? A bit or, newer to the market. Yeah, or like anything, do you like, actually, oh, fucking hell, it's making me feel sick just thinking about these people having this conversation. But yeah, basically, they, they will be asked leading questions, and then when the person goes, oh, what? They're like, oh, I'm joking, I'm joking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Black was also quite a keen photographer. He had his own little collection of photos that he secretly took of himself, generally of girls at various locations, one of which was the swimming pool he worked at. All his material ended up being stored in, in his flat in locked suitcases. Note the use of suitcases. Imagine how many fucking photos there would have been in there. Oh shit, yeah, I didn't think about that. I didn't really get what you were... Uh, be we're getting that then, but that's yeah, that's really bad. Cause think how thick a photograph is. It's like a piece of paper, exactly. Ugh. Unless they were framed. Out <laughs> <laughs> with being a dirty bastard. James also has a podcast. <laughs> Correct. Out with being a dirty bastard. Black actually seemed to have some sort of a normal life. He would frequent a pub called the Three Crowns, where he would play some darts and ended up becoming friends with a Scottish couple named Edward and Cathy Rayson. And in 1972, he moved into their attic, with their permission. <laughs> Good, I'm glad. Uh, what, what, what year was that again? That would be 1972. I have uh, some interesting facts about 1972. Hit me with them. Okay. 1972 was a year famous for many things, but did you know there were shitloads of earthquakes? Really? Most of Bengal in Turkey was destroyed by an earthquake, killing a thousand and leaving five thousand homeless. Wow. The town of Gihir in southern Iraq suffered a huge quake, killing five thousand. Mm-hmm. And an earthquake in the Nicaraguan Nicaraguan capital of Managua killed as many as eleven thousand people by some reports, injuring twenty thousand and displacing three hundred thousand people from their homes. Holy shit. Now, I was going to get some, uh, I was going to do some more research into this, and aside from the fact that I I use the website This Day in History for a lot of these facts, yeah. <laughs> because it's really helpful, uh, and then I found out that some of these earthquakes, some of the, the dates on there are wrong, because apparently the Bengal earthquake was 1971. <laughs> oh, what? But... But yeah, so, but anyway, it's still, you know, interesting earthquake facts, but as I was researching this to try and get more information... Uh, I was going to find out what this, what the uh, scored on the Richter scale scored resulted. You know what the how violent they were. Apparently, the Richter scale is horseshit. It's like not an accurate reading, and scientists don't use it. Really, it's it's basically one of many metrics you can use to measure an earthquake. What do they use? Not very rel- the shaky uh, well, wobbly I'll, scale. I'll tell you, uh, they get three jellies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what they do is uh, basically they're saying that. Newspapers love this because it was. I think it might be that it was one of the most accessible back in the day, or perhaps it was one of the first ones to be to be commonly used. But newspapers have grabbed hold of it, and this whole "oh, it's ten on the Richter scale" or oh, "it's six on the Richter scale" doesn't mean a great deal. Uh, you need to look into. I think there's. I wrote. I wrote it all down and deleted it because I decided it wasn't interesting. But <laughs> basically, it's. You can either measure the effects on landmarks the vibration that you feel because obviously those can be two different things because it might depend you know it could flatten a town in a less developed country whereas a, a city might might be fine but also 
are you measuring it at ground level or are you measuring it at the, at the where the plates are that are shifting? Yeah. If you're measuring it under under the sea, well, then you can't really take the measurement to the surface because the surface is water, so you can't measure it there. So there's all these things come into question. So basically, uh, when people say, oh, it's a 6.8 earthquake, that just doesn't mean anything. Wow. Very good. Although, I once read an interesting story about a massive, massive earthquake, and I want to say it was in Iceland. Uh, please let me know if if, if this is wrong, listeners, because I can't remember. But uh, it was one of the biggest earthquakes on record in the early nineteen hundreds, and apparently the ground cracked open like in cartoons. It just like the ground opened. Yeah, yeah, that's probably happened quite a lot, isn't it? I would assume it would. Well, no, because in an earthquake, it's literally just like the plates are moving under the Earth's surface, so it's vibration. Anyway, Whereas let's, this not, actually, let's not talk too much about this. The, the ground opened, but there's a whole bit. It must might be night like Iceland because there's a whole like big canyony bit, which is actually two tectonic plates meeting. You can actually, oh, really? you can, yeah, you can actually go to them. Yeah, yeah. so it might be in Iceland. Imagine getting your hand stuck in that. No, it's 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 huge. It's not like two no, million. There'll be a point. There'll be a point where they meet. You can go right down inside it and then see the gap. Yeah, and be like, ooh, putting your hand in. <laughs> right. The Raystons had no complaints about Black as a tenant. He was very reclusive, quiet, but by all accounts he paid his bills and gave no reasons to think he was a dirty pedo bastard. They knew he looked at porn, I mean who doesn't? Um, but they would never know that it was child porn. Anyway, it was in this, this attic where Black would stay until his arrest 18 years later. That's probably when this episode will finish by the way. <laughs> I mean, we say he stayed in the attic until his arrest eighteen years later. He did come out, you know. He just—that's where he lived. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, that was his his residence. He didn't hold himself up like a Russian preacher. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking he better get this joke. He wrote the bloody episode on it. I did. You wrote the episode on it. But did I? I? Yeah, hey, you did that one. All right. If no one else gets it, go listen to one of the cult episodes we're talking about, aren't we? Yeah, it was the one before the narco Satanists. It was the. I was. I'm pretty sure I put Russian something in it anyway. It was Russian Doomsday Cult, wasn't that was it? it? That was it. Yeah. Ah, oh, I remember that. That was back when we when we kind of like had a modicum of professionality to the podcast, and we actually wrote scripts. <laughs> what do you think I'm trying to read from here? It's the fucking babbling. Like notes you've written on a newspaper. Yeah, pretty much. Although Black managed to have very little casual jobs, he ended up buying himself a white van. That would allow him to start taking up driving jobs, and this would now become his main source of income. He obtained a permanent job as a driver for a company called Poster Dispatch and Storage. Basically, he was a delivery driver for a living now, mainly posters and advertising boards and stuff like that. This was a job that would take him out of London for days, out of England, and even out of the UK into mainland Europe. Just a question. Yes, sir. If he's heading to Europe from the northwest, from the from the northwest, from the north, and the it'll probably be the east coast if he's heading to Europe. Yep. Wouldn't that mean he's probably going by ferry? And chances are he'll be going via Amsterdam. I've I've no idea. Just just meaning that uh, it's not. It, well, I think it was known back in the day for having unregular, like more dodgy porn. So perhaps he was also picking pornography up from oh, the continent, possibly. Possibly. No, that's where I get mine from. 
<laughs> he would um, he would get the long distance jobs. In fact, um, he would want the long distance jobs. His colleagues wouldn't really like to take them because you know they had families they wanted to spend time with. But you know what did Black have? Black have at home? Just a bunch of Samsonite suitcases full of pornography. And, uh, that's what I was going to say. An attic full of child porn. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, what did he have at home? Nothing. But what did he have to gain from being able to drive around undetected? And for him, that was pretty much everything. Another advantage for Black having this job is that he would start to develop thorough knowledge of the UK road networks, which would allow him to kidnap children and take them across countries to be left. But that's something we'll go into later. Do you think that was his plan all along? You know, he was buying the van to to know he could get a job in haulage with the eventual end goal of kidnapping kids? Well, I guess so, since he would constantly change his appearance, going from beard to clean-shaving... Head of balding hair to fully shaved head. He owned a dozen pair of glasses. He would alternate between pairs that differed greatly in appearance. And most creepily of all, he covered the rear windows of the van with black curtains. I think there was some sort of thought behind him buying a big white van and getting this job. You, you kind of think, was this also a place to store more filth? More suitcases, you know, yeah. Yeah, exactly. He should have bought a hotel. <laughs> We're going to move now to 1981, to Black's first confirmed murder. There were many before this that he's linked to, but we'll go on to them after the confirmed facts of the stories are finished. Maybe even before we discuss the trial. And just a heads up, we will discuss all the confirmed murders in this episode. The next episode, we'll, we'll discuss the, the links, what links them, why he's not been charged with them, and then we'll go on to the trial. So on the 12th of August 1981, a nine-year-old Jennifer Cardi was cycling to a friend's house in a place called Ballanderry, County Antrim, Northern Ireland. The driving job came in handy for Black here then. Jennifer was last seen by her mother at 1.40pm and once it was learned that Jennifer never arrived at her friend's house, the alarm was raised. Shortly after, the bike was found less than a mile away from her home, loosely covered with branches and leaves. The stand for the bike was down, which to smarter people than me suggests that it was intentionally stopped and laid down to converse with someone. This incident kicked off a huge, huge search involving 200 volunteers, but last they did not find anything. Until two weeks later, two fishermen discovered Jennifer's body in a reservoir in Hillsborough, roughly 16, only 16 miles away from our home. Pathologists would go on to note signs of sexual abuse on the body, while an autopsy would conclude the cause of death would be drowning, which could have been accompanied by ligature strangulation. Read into this what you will. Um, the watch she was wearing was stopped at 5.40pm, four hours after she was last seen. Now, do you think that's when she went into the water? Do you think that's what stopped the watch? I. Yeah, pro- Probably. Probably. So that was yeah. The reservoir she was found in um, was near a very popular road between Dublin and Belfast, but together must have been someone familiar with the area. Someone who had driven there many times before. A delivery driver, perhaps. Ooh, I see what you've done there. Yeah. <laughs> for that murder, for this time being, Black got away with it. And moving on 11 months to July 1982, we're going to discuss Black's second confirmed murder, 
That was the murder of an 11-year-old girl named Susan Maxwell. Susan lived in a village called Cornhill-on-Tweed, which sits about a mile south of the border between England and Scotland. Susan was abducted as she walked home from local, the local tennis court in a nearby village of Coldstream, last seen alive at approximately half past four p.m. on July the 30th. She was crossing over the River Tweed. She was likely kidnapped shortly after this. The following day brought a search including police dogs and 300 officers designated full-time to the search. They searched Cornhill, Coldstream and every blade of grass for 80 miles. <laughs> However, within 24 hours, a man can get very, very far away. Now, that is true. Driving at an average speed of 50 miles an hour and accounting for a 30-minute break every four hours, <laughs> he could drive up to 1,050 miles. Now, to put this in perspective, they could have ended up anywhere uh, between Madrid, Croatia, Iceland, or even the northern Norwegian coast. That's, yeah, that's just spot on, I guess. Yeah. He could have got I'm not, anywhere. I'm not wrong. <laughs> because, let's think, think about it, right? You're a parent at home. You expect your daughter home at 7 o'clock. Yep. She's not home at 7 o'clock. You're like, we'll give her 15 minutes. She's not home yeah. at quarter past 7. You might start to worry, but at that point, you're 15 minutes away, 20 miles away. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. exactly. So this is, yeah. Susan's body was not found until two weeks later by a lorry driver. She was covered in leaves and soil, fully clothed apart from her shoes and underwear. Due to the body's decomposition, date and cause of death could not be properly determined. From Black's delivery schedule, it was determined that Susan Maxwell was likely in his van, dead or alive, for over 24 hours. Jesus. He travelled from Cornhill north through Edinburgh and continued to Dundee before travelling back south via Glasgow and from Glasgow down to London, disposing of the body on the A518 near Utoxeter which is 265 miles away from Cornhill on Tweed. Christ. I've been to Utoxeter. Is it any good? No, I just... Uh, they've got a Premier Inn, and it's like a 15-20 minute drive from Alton Tower, so that's where we stay. Oh, okay. Here we go. I did wonder how you knew to, how to pronounce that word. <laughs> um, and also, I work with a guy who isn't a paedophile. He might be, but I work with a guy who currently we don't know is a paedophile, but he, was, he worked out... Alton Towers, and he told me about the Utoxeter Premier Inn. Ah. He's from down that way. Well, sorry. I could go into his life story. Scottish, but he used to live down there. Right, fair enough. As mentioned, I've only had half a pint. As mentioned before, it's a heavy topic, so I thought we could do with a palate cleanser. James is responsible for many tangents, so he's found an online quiz for us to do in order to let you learn more about us. Right then, so I was looking through online quizzes to find something interesting, and I went through a few. One of them was, what type of guy do you attract, and like, what donut flavour are you? But they were all a bit frivolous. And ah, frivolous, I love that word. Yeah, wait. but essentially, how funny is it for me to go, I'm caramel cream donut, mm. oh, you're a Nutella with sprinkles. It's like, oh, it's, you know, it's a bit shit. So I thought, Right, let's get a bit full on because that's kind of the person that I am. So, me and Chen have both sat down and completed the Levinson self-report psychopathy scale. Shortly, you'll find out which of us, if either, displays psychopathic traits. Now, this test measures two scales, primary psychopathy and secondary psychopathy. Primary psychopathy refers to the affective uh, aspects of being a psychopath, such as your manners and attitudes. That's effect with an A, not an E. 
Secondary psychopathy uh, refers to the antisocial aspects of psychopathy, such as rule-breaking and ignoring socially rewarded behaviour. Both of them are scored 1 to 5, low to high. Okie dokie. So, who's going first, me or you? You, then you can explain your results before I explain. I So I fully understand what the numbers mean. Then I can adapt mine if I feel too embarrassed. Okay, now on to my results. Okay. <laughs> For my primary psychopathy score, uh, I scored 3.1 out of 5. <laughs> Apparently higher than 77% of people who've taken the test. Uh, for my secondary psychopathy score, I scored 2.7, higher than 59% of people who've taken the test. Uh, I don't know what's more worrying, my results, or the fact I don't care about them. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> as a bit of a disclaimer, one of the main factors in psychopathy is a lack of empathy, and I'm a big compassionate softie, so listeners, don't worry. My score is probably from my questioning of authority and refusal to follow rules I don't agree with. Etc. So that's me being an argumentative bastard, basically. Like the speed limit. Exactly. You'll take two lines of speed a night. <laughs> Fucking hell. Okay, for my primary one, I got 2.8. Okay, so not bad. Catch me up. Close, close to you. Close to you. Um, my secondary one, I got 3.5. <laughs> oh, so you're basically like. So that's rule breaking and and ignoring socially rewarded behaviour. Yeah, I don't. I don't really break me. I think yeah, okay. It's difficult because there's some rules I agree with, and I'm like, okay, yeah, we need to do that. There's other ones like fuck that. I'm going within two yeah. meters. Huh? I'm not. That's one <laughs> no. I agree with. No, it kind of all relates back to when you killed all them dogs. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. that was. So, fun, I mean, man. it's so. Is, is that yeah? yeah so I'm. I'm sorry. I'm higher than fucking hell 86.46 of people who've taken this test for the second one jesus uh i mean the, the, the funny thing is like this test it's a it's an old test and it's a self it's a self-scaling one so basically this isn't what they do to anymore to people who they suspect are psychopaths uh more recently they use the hair uh psychopathy test which is much more inclusive and it's things like it's uh, rated so it's agree agree strongly disagree disagree yeah, yeah. strongly it's that kind of test and it's a bit it's a lot more if you do that one you generally come out I did that one as well just for a laugh and I came out pretty average but also it's, it's, it's quite difficult because it'll ask you a question how do you feel about this situation and then you, you just go to one situation like that in your life and you're like oh maybe this but then if it was a different simulation do you know what I mean it's difficult to really Give proper answers, well, if that makes sense. Some of the questions that I think caught me out were the ones where it said things like, do you believe that some people are just evil and can never be can never be uh, rehabilitated? Yeah. No, it said, do you, do you believe some criminals can never be rehabilitated? And yeah, I do. I do think some violent sexual ones... I think a lot of criminals that have a sexual element to the crimes you're not being driven by rational thoughts with those crimes and you're also not being driven by mental illness. You're driven, yeah. Obviously, there's a mental illness behind it, but what I mean is you're not having a psychotic break. You've got the horn. That's why you're attacking people. You've got the horn. So, <laughs> so basically, it was like... I I was like, no, I don't think they can be re- rehabilitated. You know, I, I agree with that. That's fine. But then I thought, someone else is going to look at that and go, bloody burglars, or yeah. think it's like... So, you know, so that then this is, this is the bad thing by... When my views start lining up with Daily Mail readers because I don't like pedophiles, <laughs> I can just imagine that as like the police officer to the to the 
serial killer rapist. Excuse me, why did you kill all these women? He goes, I had the horn. And he was like, oh, yeah. I know how, We've I know always been there. Like, yeah, oh, high five. So that was an interesting interlude to these horrific murders. But now we do need to continue and talk about our final murder. Which will be the final murder of this episode. And that occurred on July of 1983. And that was the murder of a five-year-old Caroline Hogg. Caroline Hogg was last seen early evening, 8th of July, in the Edinburgh suburb of Portobello Mushroom. She was due home after being out playing at 7pm, and when she didn't return home, her family searched the local area. They were informed by a boy that he had seen Caroline with a man on the promenade, which obviously they'd searched, but when they found nothing, they called the Lothian and Borders Police. What? Which police? The Lothian and Borders Police. I have an interesting fact about the Borders. Do tell, do tell. The origin of the term dunce, meaning stupid, comes from middle-aged, uh, middle-aged, middle-ages philosopher John Dunce Scotus. Now, we won't get into his work, but his unorthodox thinkings were rejected by the church at the time, leading to dunce, as in dunce, becoming shorthand for stupid. That was interesting. You're a dunce. Yeah. Thank you. You know, imagine you wrote a book, and the council were like, "We don't like that," so we're gonna we're gonna uh, create a word. So if someone's a dickhead, we're gonna call them a chen, <laughs> and then that name sticks for hundreds of years. Is that your fact? That that's my fact. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Reporting this to the police resulted in what would be the biggest search in Scottish history. The search party consisted of two thousand local volunteers alongside police units. Their scope of search encompassed the entire city of Edinburgh, but their search yielded no positive results. Within two days, the disappearance of Carolyn was headline news across the UK, and it was found out that nine known paedophiles were within the area of Portobello on the date of the induction, but all nine were cleared, remembering at this point Black was not a known paedophile. True. How... Frustrating must it be to have to contact someone that you know is an absolute piece of shit to go, oh, you're fine. You know, you're, you know, that's okay. Carry on, sir. Sorry to bother you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, God. To get into the job of having to be in contact with those people in that kind of way is somewhere yeah. you've not just fallen into. Like, I've fallen into my job. You've That person yeah. wants to be there. That makes sense. But also, I, no, I agree with that, but. Chances are that this was someone working at a lower level under the detectives that were handling the case, and they said, right, you need to get in touch with these people and yeah. get alibis from them, question them. So they've got to basically go and presumably bring in for questioning or formally arrest them to question them over the disappearance of Caroline Hogg to then have to say, I'm sorry, like you're released without charge. Yeah. But also what I found amazing, basically just we were talking about earlier, there's Nine paedophiles in that area. That's not a big area. No. It depends. If they search Edinburgh, yeah, it is a big area. But if it was just the Portobello and all those little um, towns around there, it's not a big area to have nine, nine but, paedophiles. But also you've got to bear in mind that social economic factors might, pay, uh, might play a part in this. Perhaps the housing's cheaper. Perhaps there's lots of tenement houses or, you know, room shares, things like that. Yeah, That's yeah. why they're all living there. Okay. For this abduction, there were numerous witnesses that came forward one of which was a 14-year-old Jennifer Booth, who overheard Caroline answer, yes, please, to a question posed by Black. 
just before the two walked to the carousel where Black paid for her to ride while he watched. Did you ever see in the news, it must have been last year, the year before, that somewhere in China, they had a carousel going round and round. Yeah, with real, that's generally what they do. With real horses. What, hanging? No, like horses just walking round and round, tied to it, walking round and round. You imagine a carousel, yeah? How do they make them go up and down? How did they get the spikes through them? <laughs> that was just that was just my fact there. I can't remember where it was. But I think they had to shut it down once once I hit the news. I'd actually prefer to ride a real horse over a, it a carousel. It was a real horse on a fucking carousel. What part of this animal cruelty do you not understand? What? It wasn't a horse galloping in the wild. It was a horse chained get, to a fucking get, carousel. We didn't mention it chained. I just thought it was walking around in a circle. What? Because tied to a lamppost. <laughs> it might have been. It might have been. Anyway, enough about that. Do you ever see the Chinese zoo? They like um, just put a big hairy dog in, and they called it a lion. Oh, where they, where they paint the samoyeds and yeah. paint them black and white and say they're pandas. Yeah, yeah. After the carousel ride. Um, the pair left the park holding hands where another witness suggests that Caroline looked terrified. When, Jesus. When Caroline's body was found, it was two weeks after her disappearance and it was over 300 miles away from Portobello. In a ditch close to... I'm assuming this is near, near Wales because I can't pronounce it. How do you say that? Twycross. Twy. Twy. Twycross. Yeah. I don't think it's near Wales. I think it's London area, Fuck is it? it? Let me just check. This is where we're both going to show ourselves up. In Norway. It, uh, it's in Venezuela. <laughs> Let's have a look. It's near, basically, it's within what I like to refer to as the Triangle of Delight between Birmingham, Coventry and Leicester. Oh, it is, because I looked that up. I remember that now. Yeah. It looks like it's quite near to Tamworth. It's not important now. Anyway. Oh, yeah, I didn't say it was going to be interesting. I just said <laughs> She was found in a ditch. Up. Close to Twycross, near Leicester, near the M1. She was found naked and it was determined due to insect activity on her body. She'd been there for six days. This would tie in, and we'll touch on this on the next episode, with Black having a delivery date um, nearby. Ah, uh, you mean they've, they've kind of like spotted his location with his like delivery manifest that he's had yes. in paperwork. But we'll touch nah. on that in the next episode. Right. Just going back to that awful fact about the insect activity, which is, we all know what that means. Past couple of episodes, uh, mainly the Glyn Dix one, and some other kind of research around that area that I did, you'd be surprised how quickly a body goes off. Not goes off, but like, how you'd be surprised, like, how quickly you get to being decomposed. I mean, you're talking about bodies that are, like, a week, two weeks old, and they're ruined. Well, it depends where you are as well, isn't it? Well, in in the in like Woodland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a case where basically there was a case that I've been following uh, locally that's due for a retrial, so I won't give too much information away. And they couldn't ru- they couldn't rule out that there had been no sexual contact because and the person had only laid there ten days. They couldn't rule out sexual contact because the soft tissue had was just gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was just in that state of decomposition. It's terrible, and you don't think about things happening that quickly. You think after you think if a body's been there a week, you just expect it to be a bit cold and sweaty and clammy and yeah, yeah. some snails on it. You don't expect it to be 
gone. But when you look at the stage of decomposition, because you have your the first one is I can't think of the name of it. Then you have rigor mortis, then liver mortis, and then the blood pools. So then you start to get the blotches on the body. Yeah. Because the blood's settling, and then you have the pretty soon the internal organs start breaking down, and then it's like so quick it starts to happen. It's unbelievable. Anyway, so yeah, the date's tied in with Black having a delivery there. Caroline Hogg remained in Black's van for at least 24 hours. Black delivered posters to Glasgow several hours after the abduction and then refueled his van in Carlisle early the following morning. Carlisle's a shithole full of shit people. (laughs) I've nothing against that, that's just a private joke, so if you listen from Carlisle, unless you're that specific person, everyone's fine. The location of the body was um, only 24 miles away, away from where Black's previous victim, Susan Maxwell, had been found just under one year earlier. So that's like he's got this own like little network of back roads that he likes, that he yeah. uses. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Makes you wonder what else he was getting up to on, you know, in this area, because in the later, in the next episode, where we're going to be going through some of the confessions and some of the things found on his person and in his van... He could have been doing a lot of that mischief on those back back roads as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I don't know that yet because I've not read about it. No, well, I've done 60 pages of notes for you. I've read them, I've read them. Thank you very much. The following year, in March, a televised reconstruction was broadcast to the nation with Caroline Hogg's father saying, You think it can never happen to you, but it's proven time and time again that it can, and it could again if this man isn't caught in the near future. The discovery of Caroline's body so close to the location of Susan Maxwell, um, Susan Maxwell's body, led the police to conclude that these murders were committed by the same person. It also led to a very coordinated task force of four different police units working very closely together, and it also led to the creation of what is called the Holmes Database. But what does that stand for? Standing for Home Office Large Major Inquiry System. What does the H stand for again? Home. And the O? Office. Okay, and the L stands for large. Large. And the M stands for mouse. Major. 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 Enquiry. Yep. And the S stood for... System. System. That was it. (laughs) Home Office large Large Major Enquiry System. The task force and the Homes Database we will discuss in the next episode, because that's us pretty much... Done for today, because that's like an hour and a half. By the time we edit this out, it's going to be an hour and 15 minutes, so we've taken up enough of your time. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good, place, to, good place to stop. I think so. Uh, the, ne- the next episode, we're going to have more investigation into his behaviours, uh, the trial, and also some of the some of the things that he's linked to that haven't been proven yet, but it's more than likely. So, yep, yeah, um, thanks for hanging around for the last hour and however long. We've not got drunk this episode. Hope you've enjoyed it. It's been a sad one. Been a sad it's, one. Yeah, it's not been not been a lovely episode, really. No, but we we don't want to cover lovely stuff, do we? We want to cover the dark and horrible things that's happened. Really, you want to cover stuff that generates a reaction from you, exactly. whether that reaction's shock, repulsion, uh, hunger, or you know. <laughs> Speaking of hunger, what did you have for tea? What did I have for my tea? Uh, now, I made a quick tea. Yep. And I made uh, the. Delicacy known as eggy bread. Eggy bread? 
French toast. Which is French toast. But you say French toast, that to me sounds like you've got cinnamon on it and icing sugar and all that, that shite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. You make eggy bread, you put salt on it, and then if you're a hero like me, you put bacon in between it and you have an eggy bread bacon sandwich. That sounds fucking brilliant. It it's possibly the most filling sandwich you'll ever have. Yeah. You can feel you, you, you feel like you're having a heart attack halfway through it. It's brilliant. <laughs> I had one of them and a, and a cheese toaster. There you go. Sorted. It was good. Living life. I enjoyed it. What did you have? Uh, I made a chicken curry. Ooh. Just fry your onions, garlic, ginger, and just throw in random spices. Yeah. Put in some tomatoes, chicken stock, cook some chicken, sorted. It was really nice tonight. Chicken chicken stock. Do you use stock cubes or do you use actual stock from chickens? I use stock cubes. So do I. I've made chicken stock, but I, I never... I don't use chicken stock very often, so I never really make my own chicken stock. No, I've experimented with stock, but it, a lot of the time it makes things very fatty. And also, what I find myself doing is I will add half a pint of stock made up with a stock cube yeah, and then immediately have to reduce what I've just made down by half a pint. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I just throw the stock cube in whole like a peasant. You know, you can keep just um, reducing stock and reducing it and reducing it until there's really not a lot left. Then you can make ice cubes. Really, really concentrated little ice cubes of chicken stock and you just chuck them in when you need them. That makes complete sense, but it never crossed my mind. I quite like that. I think I read that somewhere. I used to do it. I don't know as much anymore. Because you don't want to make a mistake and put one in a glass of cider, do you? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, No. So I think the, I think this Pims has gone off. <laughs> thank you very much for listening. If you're still listening, you can yeah, find us you. on all the social medias. We've got uh, Facebook, a bloody mess podcast. Instagram is again a bloody mess podcast. Twitter, which none of us really use, because um, Twitter's for fucking dickheads. Um, <laughs> is who who cares? Honestly, who cares what it is? Yeah. So if you like what you what you've heard just download all the episodes you don't need to play them just get our figures up uh, and cheers for listening get in touch share share and yeah share and subscribe us share us tell tell your friends to give us a listen what we're yeah. doing is we're retaining our listens I've got a new app which is quite in depth in our stats we're retaining listens across X amount of listeners but we're not gaining new listeners if that makes sense yeah I, we're, we're going to have a bit of a social media push uh, I'm not so much uh, a social media push in terms of we're going to put more content out there. We're going to try and do more targeted marketing. So if you start seeing stuff popping up on your on your feed, just interact with it, please. Like it, comment, and then that will help us get seen to more people. It's just how the algorithms work these yeah, days. I mean, we don't want to be popular because we, it's, cause we want money or anything like that. We just want to tell everyone about, you know, a Scottish paedophile from Kinloch Leven. Yeah, exactly. Everyone must know. It's just, it's just nice to, to have the encouragement of we've pulled something out of our arses and then X amount of people have downloaded it and listened to it. It's quite funny. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening. Well, anyway, if you've listened this far, you deserve an absolute medal because yeah. you're a hero. But And remember, st- share your stories of people you know that have gone on to or you found out they've done X in the past or stuff like that because it's interesting. Yeah, let us know if you know any of the dregs of society. Yeah, apart from us too. Yeah. Um, and apart from that, well, you know, James. From me and from Chen, see you later, motherfuckers. Bye-bye. Went quite well. Went quite well. Ooh. Turned out nice again. You've been listening to another great podcast from the Fair City Podcast Network, a group dedicated to connecting and developing podcasts. 
check out fcpod.net for more great podcasts and content.